Okay, good morning, good morning, uh, Ruben. Uh, thanks for being here with us at the Spark Disruption, the easy way. Uh, we are doing this podcast to, to uh, and this video recording also to learn more from the ground, you know, from people in the various organizations uh, that are in a position of leadership or they have you know, something to share with us, especially with this uh, crazy year we have been going through in 2020. So welcome, thanks for being with us, really appreciate it. Um, uh, Ruben works for Unilever. Unilever doesn't need uh, that much of introduction, but I guess uh, uh, Ruben uh, could introduce himself and then maybe you can you know, talk about more about what you do in Unilever. And uh, I have to say, I was impressed this morning when I saw him showing up with a microphone and I told him, and that was, uh, you know, we should switch role. <laughs> it was so organized, you know, and uh, so anyway, uh, I'll pass the word to you and, uh, you know, let's, let's enjoy our conversation today. Well, thanks, Francesco, and good morning to everyone. Uh, I'm Ruben, and I'm currently the audience uh, development slash insight specialist, insights lead at Unilever Malaysia. And in simpler English, I help brands plan for the collection and usage of consumer data in ways that help them deliver business outcomes. Um, there's a lot more to it, but that's the easiest way to understand what it is I do. Okay, fantastic. So we, we, I think before this, um, we, we have been talking a bit. So the way I get to know Ruben, uh, just for the audience, is that we were chatting on uh, LinkedIn because I saw his command that was quite interesting. And I always like uh, people that, you know, command, uh, you know, with the critical thinking, uh, you know, way. And uh, I engaged with him. And then we started a long conversation by a LinkedIn chat. <laughs> yes. And then I thought it would be great to have a profit chat. And since, you know, COVID is still around, let's do a video chat for now. And when's possible, we're going to get a coffee. So I just wanted to learn more about, you know, uh, in your opinion, what was your hardest challenge for this year uh, during, during this pandemic uh, period for you as a person, but also as a business, I mean, uh, in, in Unilever? Uh, that's actually a great question. So I'll start off with the business one first. And I think it's it's quite obvious uh, for everyone to see that uh, a lot of businesses, a lot of industries are affected. And I think for us, you know, um, business-wise, the greatest challenge was, simply put, how do we minimize disruption to our normal ways of doing business while still taking care of our employees and staff. Um, and of course, there are other de leaders who can go into greater detail about the nitty gritty than I can. But the short version is that we had to rapidly adapt to challenges to our business model, such as moving from um, brick and mortar retail to e-commerce, while at the same time, we had to think about how do we keep the business running while not endangering any of our uh, employees or staff, whether it's in marketing or in supply chain or you know, our delivery stuff that ensures that you know, supplies are moving to where they need to be. Uh, dealing with one or the other on its own would have been a challenge in itself, um, but dealing with both at the same time, that was probably you know, the, the thing that we had to wrap our heads around, like how do we, prioritize the various tasks, which comes first, which comes next, because it's not 
as simple as let's just sort out one and then sort out the other because you kind of need to have a very delicate balance of both. And that was probably the single biggest um, challenge, at least for us in the first couple of months of lockdown because um, due to the nature of our business, we do rely on um, our logistics coming in from other uh, Unilever markets as well. And due to the stringent lockdowns at the beginning of the year, I think a lot of that was just um, shut down. There was no negotiation, at least until a couple of months later, where we were able to sort of justify that we were an essential service uh, because we're providing um, hand wash products, for example, or cleaning products, for example. So they're really critical in helping people keep COVID-19 at bay. Um, and for me personally, I wouldn't say I've suffered too much, um, uh, as you, you can see, but part of it was really because I was really fortunate to have had prior exposure to open source projects. So I've worked with people from around the globe, remotely, virtually, I've never seen your faces. Sometimes I've got an eight to 12 hour time zone difference to work with. Um, and, and you just get to learn how to adapt to such situations. You know, you can't just walk up to someone's desk and say, hey, I need a report on this or how's it going? So I had that experience um, of working in, in this kind of scenario. So the transition wasn't so difficult, um, but the takeaway from this is that you have to prepare. Um, as, a, as a leader or even as an individual, you have to prepare mentally and physically, mentally by sort of setting very clear cutoffs. Uh, physically, it could be as simple as having your own little corner at home where you draw the curtains and say, okay, this is not my office now because it helps you focus. And you, 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 you just got to um, practice. Even if it's half an hour every day and then you extend it to one hour every day, the more you practice, the more comfortable you get to it um, because that, that's really the challenge that many of my colleagues have been saying, oh, it's really difficult to adapt to working remotely completely because I don't have a table, I don't have a chair, I'm working out of my couch and everything. So yeah, definitely practice and preparation would help. Yeah, you're right. That was uh, even very tough also for me when I remember <coughs> I had to switch and work from home. And uh, once you have also not only one, but two person, maybe your wife or, you know, or your, uh, your companion, and then you, you are like, okay, uh, I'm on the phone, sorry, can you please lower down your voice? And yes. say, you know, you have this kind of issue, unless you, have, uh, you live in a mansion, you have this like, <laughs> no issue of uh, co-living with somebody else that is also, you know, on, on, on working, you know, on, on a yeah. eight hours a day minimum, because once you, you switch from working from home, you usually your hours extend over the eight hours a day right yeah. so i think there were a few issues like uh, one was uh, uh dealing with some other person in the house or your kids or anybody right find your own peace and also find your focus like you say uh, in, in a way uh how do you manage to find your focus at the same time also communicate with your different colleagues everything on on on, on zoom or on calls it's not the same as being in the same room essentially yeah. you you are extending the time of communication because yes you can communicate with many people but it's not the same so you need to get used to that kind of communication i guess yes that, that that's very true and i should probably mention that i 
am quite I have it easy because I don't have children. Um, so that's the single biggest part of the challenge uh, sort of taken away from me. But above all else, I would, I would recommend this. Whether, you have, you're, you're med- whether you're, you're married or you're single or you have you know, a couple of kids, it's important to talk to them and say, look, things are a bit different now. You know, daddy has to do things differently or mommy has to do things a little differently. So I, I think children will will innately understand that yes mommy or daddy has to do something um they might not understand it for a very long period of time but um definitely setting a bit of boundaries would help and the the other good thing that uh unilever has is that we allow our employees to sort of arrange their work hours it's so it's not necessarily from nine to six that you have to be there so for example if early in the morning you need to attend to your children, maybe helping them on their you know, e-learning things. You have that flexibility to help to be a parent, right? You don't necessarily have to say, oh, I have to be work mode from nine to six. You, know, you, can, you can attend a meeting from say nine to 11, then you know, choose to take 11 to one uh, to be a parent, to take care of whatever your children need. Um, and then go back to to being you know in work mode from you know 1 p.m. onwards. And if you find that you need a little more time to get things done, then you do it. Right. That's probably where trust in the people that you work with, trust in the people um, that report to you, really helps if you're a leader, especially if you know they have um, like parents to take care of or children to take care of. It really helps if you give them that little bit of flexibility as long as the work is done within a reasonable amount of time. I agree 100%. And also people appreciate that, you know, if you give them the opportunity to also sort out their own uh, family, yeah. um, I wouldn't say issue, but their family living, you know, uh, condition like they need to use if they have kids yeah. or they need to prep lunch or anything. Otherwise, it would be on, in, on their mind and they would, they would be more stressed to do the job. Instead, like that is you know, off yes. their mind and they can do the job better and you don't have to be on, on top of them, you know, nine to six. Like you say, you have to trust your people because I think once you give this trust and uh, uh, the, 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 your team will appreciate and uh, it will do the job that needs to be done. Of course, things can go wire sometimes, but I think it is a good attitude, a good approach, like you say, trust your people give flexibility. I always say, even in my team, I give flexibility, but also, you know, it's a bimedical, you know, I give, I take, you know, in, in terms of, yeah. if you need the day off or you need time off, go ahead. But if you need to work harder because there's something that we need to do, then, you know, yes. I hope, you know, it's, it goes back and forth, right? So I think it's like that. If you care about your people, your people will take care about you about and about the business at the end of the day. Yes, I absolutely agree with you, Francesco. So what was your key lesson learned then this year that you would like to share with some of the leaders in the region? Oh gosh, there, <laughs> there are quite a number of lessons, but um, for sake of bre- <laughs> yes, for, for the sake of brevity, um, I, I think let's just focus on two, uh, maybe plus an optional one. And the first one, uh, relevant to COVID, is uh, don't mistake activity um, for progress. And, and this ties back to what uh, we were just speaking about, about trusting in your people. Now, 
it's it's quite easy um, as a leader or as a manager of people to think that if my if my reports are sending me emails uh, daily, hourly even that they're doing work, but. I have been in situations where people do that out of habit and not because they actually have anything meaningful um, to report. And and this goes beyond just emails, right? Sometimes it goes into meetings that are held. Um, I, I think we've all been to one of those meetings where you join a meeting, it's 9 a.m., everyone stumbles in like by five past. Okay, guys, um, this is the update. You ramble on for 10 minutes and then stone silence for everyone else so then then that backs the question do we really need to have to schedule a one-hour meeting every week or should we rather um, update people if it's a routine update send out an email you know use microsoft teams or anything else to get the notification out and if it's really important that your people know something then call for the meeting, guys. I need you guys. I need you here for the meeting because this is important, and I need your input. So, um, don't have activity just for the sake of having uh, activity because progress is what moves the business forward. Activity in itself is not a guarantee of progress because there are a lot of activities that are just what I call box ticking exercises. I need to have an update uh, meeting on Monday. Check. I need to update the boss, check. And at the end of the day, you, you're just generating a lot of activity without moving closer to what you want to um, achieve, whether that's you know, driving sales or increasing your market share or anything, right? So it, one way to get around this is to have clear objectives, be very clear about what it is you want to achieve and work with your team to decide how best to measure it. It shouldn't be measured in the number of meetings that you hold or the number of emails that you send. It should be clearly measurable, sensible milestones that help drive a campaign uh, or a business goal forward. Um, yeah, so that's the first lesson I would say. And, and everyone, every leader, every industry will have a slightly different way of doing things. It's okay to try new things. I think during COVID, every single brand in the world has had to try new things. You're not alone in this. So, uh, and related to this is probably my second lesson. Communicate with um, your frontliners. And by say communicating with your frontliners, I mean communicate with the people who are actually implementing the work. Because uh, during COVID, we've realized that a lot of well-established processes and um, ways of doing business have been reset. So who better to give you feedback on whether or not something that you're trying is working or not working than the people who are actually doing it. And perhaps it's also something that I've seen in my years of experience where the message that comes from the ground, by the time it reaches to uh, head of department level or director level, the message has been convoluted beyond measure, right? And so what happens then is you, as a director or as a leader, you don't get the real picture of what's going on on the ground. So again, this is also related to something we've spoken about earlier. As a leader, you have to be hands-on. You can't just say, oh, I'll just wait for them to give me a report. And then, you know, like the people on the ground will give 
their managers report, their managers will give their managers report, and their managers will report to me. Because by the time it's like the, the Chinese whispers game, by the time you've gone through several steps, the message has been garbled. So from time to time, I'm not saying do it every day, but from time to time, check in with the people who are doing work on the ground. They will be able to give you um, a much more current, um, up-to-date wheel. And conversely, to their benefit, you will be able to share what are the concerns of the business at a higher level. What's the strategic wheel? So that the people down there understand why exactly are we doing this? Can I offer any input to do this better? So that's where a two-way communication process is really important. It's not just, I'll tell you what to do and you give me a report after that. It's very transactional in that sense. It needs to be transformational where you genuinely make an effort to listen to what they say. And again, if you trust in them to do, to care about the business, they will listen to what you have to say. That's you know, the business concern. Um, so that's the second lesson, really. And I've already accidentally covered the third one, but lead by example. Um, as a leader, uh, this, this is a bit of an obvious one, right? I think it's, it, it's quite cliche, but as a leader, you have to be there on the front lines. You have to lead. So for example, if let's go back to one of the things I said. If you're trying to cut down on you know, pointless meetings or emails, as a leader, you have to start with you. You can't end up sending, say, you know, 60 emails a day and then expect your team to suddenly cut down to, I don't know, eight or 10 emails a day. You have to start leading at the top. It's, it's not going to be easy and it won't be an overnight process, but you got to start. You have to start and your team will follow you. They will follow your example. They will watch you. They will learn what should I do? What should I not do? And it will cast. It will be cascaded downwards. So, so if I can recap uh, your tricky lesson, of first the first one is uh, don't do activities just for the sake of having it. So yeah. So so don't mistake activity for progress. Have very clear uh, milestones that ensure that you're moving towards um, your goal. And the second one would be uh, communicate with your frontliners, the people who are actually doing the work. Have that two-way communication open. Um, yes. And definitely uh, the third one lead is lead by example. Um, whatever you say that the business should be doing, they need, to, they need to see you do it. They can't just hear you talking about it. They need to see you doing it. And they, it needs to be consistent. You can't just say, oh, I've, I've done it once nine months ago, so therefore you guys should be doing it every day. No, it has, it has to start with you as the leader and it has to be consistent because okay. that's how you set an example for everyone else. I agree. And uh, I think for a leader, of course, of a big organization like yours, it depends on where, where it is in the yeah. hierarchical role. It's going to be tough to be uh, constantly in touch with the frontliners at every level. But I think it's still possible to, you know, time to time, talk to different people at any level to have a different feel uh, of uh, things. Uh, because sometimes, like you say, the people that are in the frontliner, they are really doing the job and uh, getting feedback from uh, customers. And so they can really yeah. give you that insights that is otherwise difficult to get it at, the, at a certain level of the company, just in a piece of paper. So I think 
it's not that easy because I guess the higher you go, the less time you have yeah. in general to do many other things because you oversee many people, you oversee many processes and functions. But at the same time, maybe it's also good to maybe dedicate a little bit of time uh, to yeah, so... touch base and get in touch with the reality, you know? So uh, I actually have a short example on this. Uh, my, my previous GM, um, Dutch lady by the, the um, name of Anna-Marike de Haan, and she actually took the time to meet, to sort of have a lunch session with every single new joiner in Unilever Malaysia, regardless of rank. And during that lunch session, she wanted to hear from us what exactly were the challenges in the role what exactly were new developments in what it is we did. So uh, she would hear from the, 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 the mouth of a newly hired supply chain manager or the, you know, the challenges from someone who works in finance or in my case, when it came to data-driven uh, marketing, it, it just was a very refreshing thing because it shows that she was not above scheduling time for us. It's not, it's not weekly. <laughs> for sure. It's not even monthly, but the important part was that she took the time to schedule um, a session with us, not one-on-one, -on -one, but in a small group to hear what we had to say. It, and it was a genuine discussion. It didn't feel like I had to report to my GM. It yeah. felt more like a roundtable talk where she's genuinely interested and she shares with us what is this? What is it the business is doing? Um, like what startups are we investing in in the region, and how she thinks it helps the business? So, what do you guys think? And that's where we were encouraged to actually speak up. Yeah, I, I see the benefits in supply chain. I see the benefits in logistics, and it really helps to have that kind of an open channel uh, it, because it shows that the leader, even at the country level is willing to take a little bit of time out to listen to what we have to say. And, and, and just I'm setting sure that precedent has, is good. Sorry, I'm sure she sorry. has created this uh, safe space for you guys to talk. Yeah. That's why you say, I felt good to, you know, that we could brainstorm and say what, what we thought was, I mean, our opinion based on, of course, uh, what, whatever you have done in terms of your specific role, right? So I yes, think absolutely. That, that's a fantastic approach. I mean, great. Um, in terms of uh, COVID, right, uh, as an um, FMCG company, like you say, earlier you, you were saying that you had some issue in terms of uh, during the MCO period, I guess there was a problem of logistics and uh, deliver, delivery of products and, uh, you know, from any other countries to Malaysia and so on and so forth. I remember also, I mean, I'm in Italian, so I was looking for pasta and I had a very big issue <laughs> to find pasta, you know, that you time. Uh, so I, I didn't stock enough for pardon. So then uh, I guess the same was for, for you guys with uh, different type of products, but the same issue in terms of logistics and distribution. So how uh, was that period? I mean, and now I guess you guys have learned from that. So perhaps you have uh, already processed in place or in terms of if there is another emergency like that, what we're going to do, right? So uh, how was, did it really disrupt uh, your operation and um, you know and uh, in terms of team morale productivity and so on and so forth how, how did you see that i mean going from mco to cmco and so on and so forth if you can give a quick answer to that i know it's a tough question to give a quick answer but so yes uh i'll try my best um i guess one aspect that is most visible would be our pivot towards e-commerce Right, mm. because um, also in line with the government allowing 
um, logistics providers to be classified as an essential service. That meant a lot of people were, were just buying stuff online, whether it's from Tesco or Lazada or, or Shopee. We just had to pivot to catch that trend because otherwise you would not see your, your product move at all. So that um, was really one of the examples of how we had to really scale up our existing uh, ways of working for e-commerce. So previously, it may have been, maybe you know, hypothetically, it might have been third priority other after our big accounts. But now, suddenly, we have to account for, maybe this is important for us to push it up the priority list. So it, it's not so much a change in processes. It's more like a change in what do we have to prioritize now? Because previously, we may have said uh, it's important to ensure that um, store shelves are uh, brick and mortar store shelves are stock. Now we need to make sure that we have supply going to our e-commerce um, partners because it wouldn't make any sense for us to have a storefront and then not have adequate supply. So, and because things move, I guess, a lot faster <laughs> when you get to buy online, you, you see your stock levels move a lot more rapidly. So we also had to learn how to react faster it's not just we'll wait for the report at the end of the month now it could be on a day-by-day -day thing so Ruben, so, so just for, for us to understand uh, before uh, you guys were supplying um, uh, distribution like Tesco and so and so forth right so for like you say uh, to refill that the shelf and all that but now you are going into e-commerce so uh, even then they are going to e-commerce so is that as um, your distribution channel change or they, you still work with Tesco, you still work with different we, we other We providers. definitely still work with them. We, we definitely still work with them. We, we appreciate the, uh, we genuinely do appreciate the relationship that we have with all the, uh, the modern trade, general trade um, retailers we have here. It's just that um, if, for example, they reduce their amount of um, stock that they would take from us, we still have to get we still have to sell it somewhere, right? So that's where we, we work closely with our partners in, you know, in Lazada, in Shopee, or in health and beauty, it'll be like Watsons and Guardians to start selling more to a, through their online channels. So that, that's a discussion that the B2B side of the, the, the business, as well as the e-commerce side of the business have been working, you know, tirelessly all year and it, it's probably a great thing that they finally have a chance to show that, hey, you know, e-commerce is not just a fat, it's genuinely um, a, a practical way for a lot of people to shop, such as myself, because I love the convenience of just buying things online and having it delivered to me. Uh, so us consumers um, buying patterns change. Maybe previously people would not have considered they want to, they want to pick stuff out of Tesco. Um, now they, during um, MCO they don't have a choice but to buy online or not buy it at all. So we had to follow where the consumers go, right? And 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 whether or not we'll be able to keep this up in the future, we're not sure. But it will definitely not go back to purely how it used to be. There will be quite a number of people who will adopt remote working as a regular way of working. So therefore, they might think, you know what? Previously, it was fine for me to just pick up groceries on the way home. Now, I'll just have it delivered. 
it's a lot yes. uh, easier. So we have to be able to support our partners in, in terms of that as well. So not in Malaysia, but in Philippines, for example, um, the Unilever team have actually pioneered a direct-to-consumer model where they actually have their own storefront and they sell direct-to-consumers. So that, that's one of the really interesting things that um, we'll, we'll see in, in the next couple of years, I guess, where not just Unilever, but probably P&G, Nestle, will pivot towards having a hybrid uh, B2B2C model as well as a direct-to-consumer uh, model where they sell directly to consumers without going through like a retailer or distributor. So yeah. what, what space to watch in the future? Um, you as for, right now, the model has on uh, one side at the retail, so you yeah. supply the retail. On the other side, you also supply through e-commerce platform that already have millions of users on it. But yes. on the other side, for example, for Philippines or others, you are also thinking of doing a direct sales from you guys directly to consumers through your own channels. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Not 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 in Malaysia, not yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in some of the other markets, they have pioneered that model. It's they're not. And and a question that will come up here is how will the discussion be held? Because if we go direct to consumer, we are no longer a supplier to the retailers, we are now also a competitor. So in a way you are um, cannibalizing that relationship. Correct. Yes. So and the wholesaler will say, hey, you yesterday you sell to me, then I sell to people. Now you sell yes. to people. So my my role is redundant in a way. Yes. So so we would effectively become a direct competitor rather than a supplier. So definitely that discussion has to be handled with a lot of tact. Um, it's not a matter of let's just do it because then yeah. we would upset a lot of business relationships. And I, I don't think there's a clear answer to it. I think every market um, will have a slightly different approach of doing it, but we are seeing some promising results, not just from Philippines, but from, for example, Thailand, where they're having more um, close partnerships rather than just selling stuff. So um, it's definitely something, a year of exploration for Unilever in the region. Very interesting. Okay, thanks for thanks for sharing this. Yeah. Uh, I think um, another question, since we're talking about you know change, we are talking about evolution of the business and so on and so forth, and uh, we talk about a lot of challenges uh, faced during COVID, personally, business-wise. I think uh, one question, since we is this part, we are a learning company, right? So we are learning platform. We 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 are always curious to know what you guys you know think. Uh, the skills of 2021 for your people will be, you know, what do you think your team, yourself and uh, people around you will need to focus on to improve, you know, and to keep up with the changes essentially. Oh, wow. <laughs> Where do I start? Uh, again, I've, I've highlighted three uh, that I think are probably something that everyone, not just leaders, but down to the individual, we can apply. And the first one is, learn the art of perspective taking, uh, learn the art of understanding what it means to metaphorically be in someone else's shoes. It could be a business vendor, if you're thinking of business partnerships, it could be the consumer learning what it is that motivates them to buy, especially during times of say, you know, restricted income or times of uh, pandemic, like what we're going through right now. Um, because if there's anything that this pandemic has taught us is that we need to start um, being more understanding of 
other people's uh, needs and scenarios, sorry, needs and uh, wants per se, and not just project what we think is their needs and wants onto them. We have to, to actually listen and try and understand the situation from their point of view. And I, I'm thinking of, I'm saying this while thinking of our marketing towards consumers because for me, marketing has always been about addressing the question uh, that a consumer would have of what's in it for me, right? Mm. So especially during um, times like this, if we're spending all these marketing dollars or marketing euros um, on marketing, there needs to be a very strong element of this is how it benefits the consumer, whether it's you know helping them, um, whether it's by providing more content for them. So information on how to cook delicious meals that your children would enjoy, for example, or how to you know, spice up cooking at home as a newbie chef, for example. <laughs> Things like that would really help um, a brand sort of establish that, hey, we understand that things are different and this is what we're doing to try and help you do that, um, to try and help you deal with that. So I think it was Unilever, uh, Australia, New Zealand, that actually sort of packaged a couple of recipes into an ebook, and they gave that away for free. And if I'm not mistaken, um, the recipes in there were simple, easy to make things that it sort of serves like an, like an, like an idea you know, inspiration play for people who, who are new to, oh, I've got to now start cooking at home because I can't go out to eat or because it's too expensive to go out and eat. How do I make meals um, healthy while still being cost effective? So that's where Unilever um, ANZ were able to step up and say, you know what, uh, because we have the, the money to work with nutritionists, to work with chefs, uh, celebrity chefs even, here is our contribution to you for free. We don't charge you anything. You know, you just give us your email. Uh, that's the value exchange, right? And we give you the ebook, right? And if it's valuable enough, we will keep doing that in the future. So we're actually trying to do that in Malaysia because um, you've been here long enough to realize that we love our food. <laughs> so so it, it's one of the, the ways that we as a brand, as a big brand, can give back to the community, not just by you know selling things to them, but in these sort of value add things where money isn't the primary um, value exchange. So it, it's definitely one of those things. Um, I would so say the second say important. Active listening, can we say that? Yes, uh, active, active listening, being empathetic, um, it helps in perspective taking. Um, okay. And and. It needs practice, um, and I'm a psychology uh, graduate myself. It definitely needs practice. No one is immediately good at it, right? So yes. it, it needs a lot of deliberate practice. As a leader, as a husband, or as a parent, you have to practice. And you might not get it right the first time, but it's important to keep doing it. Uh, and and I, I guess the second important skill that I would say is... Um, learn how to cross-pollinate skills across multiple disciplines. And what, what I mean by that is, um, you know the saying, jack of all trades, master of none, is oftentimes better than a master of one. And I found that to be very true, right? Because even if you're not a master of anything, if you are able to do multiple things, um, you are 
immediately more adaptable because you've been exposed to multiple things. You already have the fundamental there and you are able to pivot rapidly. So a very good example would be, um, let's say you're a media person, right? And you, know, you probably haven't considered e-commerce before this because you would think, oh, it, it's not something that's important to me. But if you have a basic understanding of e-commerce, this year, you would have been able to pivot and say, you know what, let me apply my understanding of media to e-commerce because suddenly, out of the blue, e-commerce is at the top of many companies' agendas because without e-commerce, we wouldn't be able to sell, at least for the first couple of months where we had lockdowns. And it, it's not going to go away. I don't think it's a fad that will just go away after uh, the pandemic. So having that kind of ability... Uh, so rather having that broader skill set allows people to pivot. And I think this is something in the IT industry, they, they, they talk about having a, a T-shaped skill profile where you have certain areas of expertise, but you also um, have a sort of lower but broader skill base in many, many things. But yeah. uh, I noticed you had a question. Or, or No, no, no. I, I completely agree with what you said because I also like to call it uh, learnability so learning to learning how to learn right and yes. uh, also goes end in end with the adaptability right so the flexibility of your mind the curiosity that you have and uh, i think it comes very handy so for example for me when i started the company you know i was uh, i mean i like technology and i'm a very curious person but i wasn't a developer right so i had to rely on developers to help me to build a platform but then after a while, also, since I'm very curious, I learned myself a few things that helped me to survive, right? Because at certain times, you might not always want to rely on anybody. Sometimes you also have to do something yourself. Yes. So during the COVID, I was a little bit more free. So I was learning a bit more programming and I could do something on my own. Of course, if I need to do something serious, I still need the person that is, yes. you know, uh, has a specialization in it. But... I can survive, I can do a few things, I can move things around, you know, which is still very important. And uh, you also learn, you explore, you have, uh, thanks to that, you also have a different approach to and different point of view on things because broaden your perspective, right? So you're looking at things in a different way. So I guess uh, learning how to learn is very crucial nowadays. It doesn't mean that you need to know everything, right? But uh, you can expand your knowledge, you can expand and try and test and, you know, and uh, be curious. Um, because that will help you to, even now we are doing a video, for example, uh, a video recording, right? There are a few things that still you need to learn, you know, once we do this, we need to edit, how to edit, which software, you know, and yes. all these things, it comes in and it doesn't mean you have to know everything, but why not? You know, if you have some uh, spare time, you can learn something new this year, you know, it's good to learn something new all the time because... You know, you just enrich yourself as a person. Then you can you know, enjoy talking to other people and sharing yeah, and absolutely. be part of other communities. Yes, I absolutely agreed. Um, if, if we have time after this, I'll probably talk a bit more about what I've been doing um, during, uh, as far as picking up additional skills uh, during uh, COVID is concerned. But uh, I, I think the last, um, sorry, uh, your, your camera just went okay, off. You lost me for a second. Um, oh, it's all right. Um, I guess, well, not the last, but the last of the three I would talk about is something I mentioned earlier is you have to learn how to focus. And, and I don't mean focus by, you know, plugging your ears and just going off into room. I mean, 
focusing um, not just your attention, but your energy when it comes to doing things. So this is something I, I bring up because um, one of the key concerns that uh, we, we've seen in Unilever during, uh, trying, during the pivot to work from home is that they're constantly, uh, my colleagues, you know, peers, reports, they're constantly being stretched to do everything because they've only just transplanted their, your regular routine onto a digital form. So not only are they distracted by, you know, Facebook, YouTube, um, Netflix and all that, but they're distracted by instant messages and all that. Whereas if you're talking to someone in person, like I am talking to you right now, you give that person your full attention, right? Whereas if you're talking to someone over instant uh, messaging, it might not come across as, as focused. So it's definitely a skill I would say all of us need to pick up uh, and that is learn how to focus or learn how to manage your distractions. Um, I am not saying don't go on Facebook. I am not saying, you know, don't have your series or anything, but I'm saying learn how to keep it under control. Have, and, and everyone does it differently. Some people will say, you know what, from nine to six, that is my work time. Absolutely no relief whatsoever. Some people uh, who are parents, for example, can't necessarily do that. So they will have to learn how to chunk their time. Like from 10 to 12, that is my focus time. From two to four, that is my meetings time or two to six, that is my meetings time. So that's really an example of how they're focusing their energies and actually getting things done rather than having to rapidly switch between things um, all the time. Be in a way, focus is very important, I agree, especially in this uh, kind of uh, how do you say, society that we live in, which is becoming harder and harder to get focused because we are bombarded by any message yes. anywhere in a 10 different type of channels, you know, and different application. So I guess you are right. Uh, being focused is essential to, to be effective also and uh, yeah. efficient in whatever you are doing, either personally or business-wise. Yes. So, yeah. Thanks so much, Ruben. I think we have... Uh, we have had a very nice conversation today. We have learned a lot from you. And I hope our audience also, I'm sure, will find some interesting insights. Uh, so thanks so much for being with us. And uh, I'm very happy to have known you better through this call. And I'm sure we are going to keep talking on this and uh, see maybe in the next couple of months, maybe we'll <laughs> do another call and see what has changed, sure. you know, and uh, what we have been able to improve in our lives. Yes, uh, thanks very much, Francesco. It's, uh, it's definitely been uh, a pleasure talking to you over LinkedIn and finally getting to engage with you on this. Um, yeah. So we'll talk soon now. We'll, uh, we'll, for now, we'll, we'll, we'll say bye, but uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a coffee hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe then I can actually um, go on and recommend some of the books that uh, uh, yes, to listeners. Please. Uh, if we still have time, that is. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep it real quick. Um, yes. I actually have three books. Well, no, I actually have five books. And the reason why I picked the five is they're, they're really relevant to the subject at hand. And the first one is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And it, it goes into what we spoke about earlier about, you know, really understanding what it is we're doing and yep. being, a, being able to have that mindset of questioning, why am I doing this? Not, not as a way to challenge your boss or your peers, but just 
getting that understanding, I'm doing this in this way because it helps the business in that way, right? So Start With Why is a really good um, book to start with. Uh, and that brings me to my second one, which is um, Measure What Matters by John Doerr. So um, if, if you haven't heard of John Doerr, he is the uh, one of the venture capitalists that actually funded Google of all uh, the companies. And so Larry Page and Sergey Brin have actually consulted uh, with John Doerr on how exactly to scale Google as a company. So this is not some bedroom uh, strategist. This is actually someone who has tested uh, the framework. And Measure What Matters is really simply um, explaining the whole OKR or objectives and key results framework that Google as well as many other companies has used. And at its heart, it's about understanding what uh, an objective is and then identifying key results that actually definitively move towards uh, move the business or move you towards your objective. So that goes back to what we spoke about um, do, of not mistaking activity for progress and measuring the right thing. So measure what matters. And uh, we just we literally just spoke about focus. Uh, so this work, uh, um, so this book called Deep Work by Cal Newport is uh, a really good uh, example of it because it, it goes into multiple examples about how in this day and age, we're, we're pulled in so many directions, you know, Twitter, Facebook, instant messaging, emails. How do you learn to manage all of those? Yes, <laughs> and your phone, which is the, probably like the single biggest source of distraction. How do we product, manage all of that um, properly to help us focus and create what uh, Mr. Newport calls deep work, deep focus, you know, deep thinking, kind of work, which is really important because a lot of people in this day and age are knowledge workers, right? So knowledge workers, um, we, we shouldn't be working like blue collar workers, like people in assembly line. We need to yes. be able to dig deep and just have, you know, in-depth conversations like what we had on LinkedIn. Um, so that's a really good book to, to think, to read. Um, and related to that, the, the next two is, uh, one book, it's called So Good They Cannot Ignore You, also by Cal Newport. And it, it talks about what um, we spoke about, about having multiple skill sets. It talks about both um, focusing on exactly what it is you're doing and having such a high standard for it, taking ownership of, of your work that it really, really speaks volumes about you. Yes. And the so good part um, basically means you, as, as an employee, you're not just, you know, a one-dimensional uh, person. You are well-rounded, well-versed, well-experienced that you are so good that people literally cannot ignore you because if you want to talk about finance, that's the right person. If you want to talk about logistics, he knows a bit. If you want to talk about marketing, that's your person. So that's really um, one of the books that, I thought was really, really enlightening. And the last one on the list, but by no means the least, is uh, Indistractable by uh, Nir Eyal. So we, we, we spoke a bit about focusing and managing distractions and Indistractable um, goes into detail on how to prioritize um, things. So I, I think a lot of people seem to have a either or approach to Facebook is good or Facebook is bad. And the fact of the matter is 
it kind of depends on what it is you're trying to do. So if you're trying to say, conduct research um, uh, or trying to write a long research paper, having that constant Facebook interaction might not be beneficial. It is a distraction from your objective. But if you're, let's say you're um, a journalist or maybe not a journalist, but someone who has to interact with people on a very regular basis, Facebook or other um, typical distractions might actually help you um, might be your tool. Yes, exactly. It might actually be a useful tool. So there is no one size fits all answer. It really um, depends on how you define your objective and how you want to work towards it. And so the ideas in indistractable and deep work, sometimes they seem a little contradictory, but, but, but that's the, the beauty of all the books that I've suggested. It doesn't tell you this is good or this is bad. It, encar it encourages you to think for yourself, does this work for me? And I, I think that's really the takeaway that uh, if, if you remember, I mean, if people remember nothing from this, um, it's just one easy takeaway. It's slow down and think about what works best for you. Don't go don't don't just follow the flow um i i know there's a saying that i heard somewhere and i really like it is only date fish go with the flow right so only only date fish go with the flow <laughs> oh, okay. it's it's a bit it's a bit dramatic but i think it it challenges us to think about you know many things right so when you stop and think about many things um like can i improve the way i'm doing um, can I improve ways of doing the business of running the business? Can I improve the way I'm engaging with people? Can I improve the way I focus on work? That's when you have even more questions. And these five books um, have helped me personally, both as uh, an employee and as someone who is in a position to lead certain aspects to start thinking about things in a more critical manner. So yeah, I, I would end on just those five. Thanks. Thanks, Ruben. I think, uh, yeah, you mentioned some of the book I knew, some I read, but some I haven't read. So I'm going to, after this, take notes and uh, read some of them. Sure. Uh, and uh, I agree with what you say. No, every book, uh, you will find something interesting in every book, uh, or maybe not, but you, it doesn't need to be applicable 100% to your life. Yeah. It's really like you have to take it and then see what applies to you and what matters and in what, uh, you know, size or effort and things like that. So it's, it's good to be exposed. So the more you're exposed, the more you can put together a puzzle that works for your life. You know, at the end of the day, like you say. Thanks so much yeah. for sharing. I think that was a very interesting share. A lot of insights. Uh, so a lot of things to to learn for from us and I uh, hope for for the audience too and uh, yeah we'll catch up soon uh, in person and again uh, live uh, perhaps in a couple of months talk soon then uh, looking forward to it thanks very much Francesco and have a good day and thanks everyone else for you know, tuning into the podcast <laughs>